I was always thinking about the next thing, like what I wanted to do when this business was up and running on its own so that I could get to build a new business that I really liked. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy Thursday. Do stick around to the end of this pod where I'll invite the boss man onto the mic to do some rock, some reviews, and some news, of which there is some. Today's episode, I really hope, can be inspiring and interesting to those of you who fear making the leap into entrepreneurship, and also for those of you who are maybe considering, you're questioning that move to entrepreneurship. Maybe you've thought about going back to a job. And also there's another category of us. There are those of us who are just hanging on to entrepreneurship by a thread. I think today's episode can be inspiring to you. So let's dig into it. The other day I'm surfing through our forum, the Dynamite Circle or the DC, and there was a thread entitled the 4,000 day rule subtitle. If it's still not working, get a job. So we've mentioned the thousand day rule in this pod many, many a times, but it's basically this, that based on our experience, it'll take you about three years or a thousand days of full-time effort to replace the income you were once making at your job in a business that you own. And part of the reason we came up with that idea is not only that we saw it many times, but to put this sort of truth across that if you're just piddling around with your business and nights and weekends, it's really hard to get the kind of time input that you need to get a business off the ground. This is all why the 4,000-day rule struck my interest, and I'm just going to quote a little bit from that forum post. So the author writes, I have been in business since 2007 as an ADHD coach, teaching live and online courses for parents and professionals. And just as some context here, today's guest worked on this business full time, but he also reflects, quote, I never did manage to make it work. I had periods with good money, but never anything fancy. And when it stopped, I didn't know what caused the good times and was unable to recreate the setup or get the income back up. So I stopped trying to build something on my own and got a job. It's been such a great choice. You know you're on the wrong path when after 10 plus years or 4,000 days, you're still not making a business for yourself, even though you have pivoted and pivoted and gotten better and better tools. So first off, shout out. What an awesome and vulnerable piece of writing and a way to share with the group. I just had to reach out to the author. His name is Anders Renau to find out more about his story. And this conversation really drew me in. I hope it does the same for you. Anders is going to share with us why running a business isolated him and why he just couldn't bring himself to do many of the great strategies and advice that people were telling him would work. Like, for example, market more on social media. And we'll also get to the conversation that led to Anders's moment of realization. So just a little background, Anders is currently working as a designer and innovator for a company with over 1,500 employees in his home country of Denmark. We started by asking him 
about his day-to-day life now compared to the over a decade he spent working for himself. When I was running my own business, I was uh, working from my office at home, big white desk, Apple computers all over the place, and I was working mostly alone. I would be coaching one, two hours a day with clients, and I would be uh, developing products and communicating about them. Did you have a rigid schedule or? No, it was incredibly flexible, and that was a great part of working home, working alone, and, and having that flexibility. I have two daughters, so being able to pick them up from school, the flexibility was awesome. How have things changed for you? Has it been a difficult transition or a welcome one? I was sure it was going to be incredibly difficult, and I was afraid that I would fail, if you will, in the transition, that I would become so depressed that I'd have to take up my own line of business again. Just because I've been doing this for 11 years, I've had my own schedule. And before that, I was consulting on my own schedule, and before that, I was a student. So I've just been doing my own thing for so many years. But coming into the office every day, Denmark is a pretty flexible country. So I come in whenever I want between seven in the morning and nine, and I leave whenever I need to. And then I put my hours whenever I need to. So I can go home at two or three if that's what I need to do. But then I'll work in the evenings instead. Part of the flexibility is still there. But it is a true joy for me to go to work, which I was kind of surprised about. But one of the things that that I was able to say before I started was, I need people around me to be productive. And I get that here. You mentioned that the business you found yourself running wasn't the one that you would have chosen, but that you found yourself in it. Could you take me back to that moment? Like, when did you wake up and you like found yourself in a business? It's a very strange way to put it. I have a PhD in physics, and then I have a master's in product design. And after doing the product design degree, I had a couple of years as a consultant. I worked with a number of high-end clients in Denmark and had a lot of fun doing that. To become a better consultant, I took a coach training, an advanced coach training, and that brought me to coaching. And I thought, hell, I'll, I'll start coaching. And I had so much fun doing that. So I started coaching full-time and immediately out of the design community came clients with ADHD. Everybody back in the, in the mid-zeros were talking about ADHD as a disease a brain disease that you contracted and then you were fucked the rest of your life. And I just saw these really cool people walk into my office, like wonderful, creative, intelligent people walk into my office that had massive problems. We went exploring together, me as a coach and and them as clients. And pretty soon my entire business revolved around ADHD. And I remember pretty early on thinking, wow, this is not an ideal target audience for me because I'm a creative. My dream desire was to become a professional brainstormer, 
that was kind of the, if I could choose my own title, I'm a professional brainstormer. Clients with ADHD, wonderful as they are, do not normally pride themselves and talk openly about going to a coach. They're not typically, at least, socially very well connected. The amount of work I had to get clients was just enormous. So it was a struggling show to get get things going. I eventually did that, and I started doing training of parents and training of professionals, teachers and stuff, and had a pretty good business. But I didn't always know like what made the successes so that when things started falling apart, I didn't know how to fix it. We moved to a different part of the country, and business just slowed down to uh, almost a halt. And I kept pivoting. So if I can't make it in Denmark, I'll make it in the US, in the international markets. I started transforming ADHD.com and tried to build a business there and failed miserably. I think that's interesting that you mentioned you had periods of good money, you had periods of bad money. You never were able to figure out to your satisfaction, what correlated with good and bad. And you said that you think you know why, but you never managed to do the things that needed to be done. What would you say you think is the answer in retrospect? When I see other businesses similar to mine that appear to be successful, you, of course, you never know, but they're doing massive social media marketing. And I am just not comfortable on social media. Why? I don't know. I never felt comfortable sharing on Facebook and, and Instagram and stuff like that. So I would know what to do. I would set up a schedule. I would make it a priority number one. I would set it an hour or even two in periods for periods of time every day to do this work. And I would procrastinate like a madman. So I never actually got to do it very well. That's interesting. And I think really deep down, so at some level, I wasn't into my business. I've communicated this as well. Like I was always thinking about the next thing, like what I wanted to do when this business was up and running on its own, Where, so that I could get to the build a new business that I really liked. That's the the promise of what you guys are talking about and Tim Ferriss and all the other incredibly inspiring people that I, I follow and followed, that when you get to this point, you can hire people, you can build this business, and, and I could be the inspirer, so continue being a brainstormer, but not really the voice of the company and stuff like that. And that was kind of the goal all the time. I never wanted to work alone. I always wanted to hire people around me and just never got to that point. So in retrospect, I think that I killed the business subconsciously. You said that you know you're on the wrong path with, and you mentioned a bunch of different things like, you know, after 10 plus years, you're still not making a business for yourself, even though you've pivoted and pivoted and pivoted, you're looking forward to the point with the business coming on itself, these sorts of things. But was there a moment when that subconsciousness came to the fore and you had to look at it? Do you remember anything like that? Yeah, there, there were several incidents that kind of 
got me out of thinking that I was unemployable and I was doing great and I was building wealth because I wasn't. There was one conversation over dinner with a complete stranger who said he'd just read the best book he'd ever read on building businesses. It's by a Danish author. It's called Hunger in Paradise. It's actually available in English. And the premise is once you get successful, you get lazy. Think Nokia. And then you stop innovating and then you die. But beneath that premise is most often you don't actually know what it is that built your success. So that when things start to fail and you replicate what you were doing, it's not going to work because you're not even conscious about what it is that you're doing that gives you the success. Hearing about that book, just immediately I knew that he was right. I had no idea what I was doing. Why was it that that resonated with you? I don't actually know. Yeah, I do know. Because at that point, I was already struggling. I'd been having $10,000 months, and I was having maybe $1,000 months. And that only paid the bills in the business, right? I was struggling when he said it, and I had no idea how to come back, like how to bring people back into my courses, my live courses. And then he continued and said, oh, so you're doing ADHD coaching? So you have the names of everyone along the North Coast, which means all the rich kids' parents, right? And I was like, no, I don't actually. That would probably have been a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, I'm not doing the work. I'm not thinking strategically and I'm just grinding along. And when I looked at what I was actually doing, I was just developing, developing, developing. And I made awesome courses. And everyone I taught, especially the live courses, reported really transformative experiences. And then later, I was at the conference in Bangkok in 2015. And in the mastermind sessions, I was challenged to perform more of higher quality. And I came back from Bangkok and continued not doing that. And that was a wake-up call too, right? That seems like something every business owner could hear. Was there something specific about the tone or what that person said to you at the table that was different from anybody saying work harder or do better? Yeah. She was quoting, I can't remember his name. Is it, is it Marcone? Marcone? Marconi? The 10X books, 10X thinking. Just zooming in here to say that this is Grant Marconi's The 10X Rulebook. And the major takeaway is basically the greatest mistake most people make in business and in life is not setting their goals high enough. And he has a quote that says uh, something like, stop whining, you bitch. And I, I took that to heart that I was, I really ought to perform more of that because it was obvious that that's what I needed to do. And I, I just felt unable to do it. So at some point, we're probably around 2017, fall of 2017, I have the first time it dawns on me that I might not actually be able to pull it off. <laughs> and that comes as a hard realization after having committed 10, 11 years to doing just that. And that made me introspect and go deep into what it really was that mattered to me. And I came back to the, the old, 
Well, I really want to be a professional brainstormer. Help me welcome a new old sponsor to the show. Long time listeners will definitely remember leading SEO specialist Travis Jameson's suite of companies, including Supremacy SEO and Sassicorn. Well, now they've rebranded as Smash.Digital. You got to go to Smash.Digital slash TMBA. Why? I'm just going to read it off the website. This is amazing. Smash Digital is offering a free SEO site review for the listeners of the Tropical MBA podcast. These are mini audits done by our management team, personalized just for you. This is not automated software, just great advice from SEO professionals. Fill out the form below and get personalized SEO advice and actionable feedback. Who doesn't want that? They're even going to do a mini link profile review. They're willing to help you on a custom problem. They're doing it free for you because you're a TMBA listener. That's right. Smash.digital is formerly known as Supremacy SEO. It's the SEO agency that isn't just regurgitating Google's best practices. Imagine that. They think for themselves. They offer unique results. Ian and myself have used Smash.digital. Many of you have used Smash.digital. And now they're offering a free SEO audit over at Smash.digital slash TMBA. Check it out. And a big thanks to the team at Smash.digital for sponsoring the show. And congratulations on the rebrand. I hate to ask a two-part question, but I feel like I have to ask them together, which is, do you remember the first person you told about this realization? And when you told them, did it feel like you had crossed a Rubicon? Because there are things in my life that problems that I might be like slowly admitting to myself that I know the moment I tell another person that I'm like committed to that reality in a way that I'm not right now. That would be my wife. <laughs> she's seen me struggle. She's heard me struggle. She's the chief financial officer of the family, so she knows how things are going. So when I said this, not only on her, her part was there a, kind of a sigh of relief that, oh, okay, so you want to get a job? That's awesome. But also there was kind of this, well, good for you, because she recognized that, that, was, that would be good for me, that that's really what I needed to do. And of course, there was the, how do you even get a job after 11 years out of the workforce or actually not ever having been in a, a J-O-B where I had to show up every day? What was it like presenting yourself to companies? And ostensibly, a lot of us are like these feral individuals who have to describe a decade's worth of working from your home office and flip-flops and like doing your own thing, did they take you seriously when you showed up on the door looking for a job? Absolutely. I have not gotten a single interview from sending an application, but every person I called took me seriously and most invited me in for coffee. Why? Because I immediately said I have a different profile than most of the candidates you normally look at. And I thought I would show up on your doorstep and talk about that. And immediately they were like, hmm, or I would invite myself in for coffee and, and, and we could talk about my profile and, and if there was a, a fit with your company. 
And they were like, so what is your profile? And I got to deliver the red thread of why I was the perfect candidate for them. How'd you do that? First of all, I wrote it out. And telling the story in, in retrospect is always easier. So saying that what I've been doing my entire career from physics to design to consulting to coaching was problem solving and user experience and working in physical products and digital products. And I patched up this two, three sentences that I wanted to deliver and just read them out loud to myself, you know, 10, 20 times. And then I called up people and read them out loud to them again, but now in my own tone and voice, right? What I did was talk to designer friends and I talked to IT friends and said, like, what's my angle here? What's even happening in the industry? And one of my friends said, well, you should just call and maybe you can become a front-ender. I'm like, okay, if, if that's what, what it takes, I'll become a front-ender and I'll weave myself into real life that way. And by front-ender, you mean? Front-end developer. So I called on a senior front-end developer and said, that's not my job, but I want to come in anyway and talk to you. He was like, sure, come on in. And we talked for an hour and a half. And when the meeting was over, he said, well, you're obviously not qualified for working in my department. I think you're a UXer. I'm like, yeah, sure. I have to admit, I, I hardly even knew what that was. Was he referencing that a UX person is a higher level thinker than a, just a front end designer? No, more of a different perspective on the design. Okay. So that kind of gave me this immediate response like, oh, yeah, that is actually what I'm doing. And that's what I was doing as a consultant. The UX term just never crossed my path back in the days. The fact that you need to do UX has gone from almost zero to 100, like since 2005. So I looked into UX and, and he said, I'll hook you up with our head of UX and innovation and you can talk to her and we'll see what happens from there. You know, one of the biggest reasons people don't explore entrepreneurship is they're worried about exactly that, like what the future would look like if they have to go back and get a job. There's a bunch of fears like resume gap or their skill set eroding and them falling behind in their industry. What would you say to people that have that fear? I think on your show, at some point you referenced somebody saying that people come with or without batteries included. And I think people that come with batteries included, that are able to take initiative, that are able to stand on their own and produce stuff, read books, read articles, and communicate, will in practice, always be in a better position when they come back. Always. That's interesting. That's a very strong statement. It's something I think I believe. And it may be cultural. Because sometimes when I hear about how things are going in the U.S., I'm like, oh, that's not how things work here. It may be more pertaining to Danish culture. Everyone I talk to, when they heard what I've been doing is ADHD coaching and developing courses, what they heard was, oh, you've been developing courses. You've been setting up a company. 
And I would weave in words like strategy, thinking, and business development and stuff like that. Everybody has been reacting with, oh, wow, that's interesting. So I never got the, you have a serious gap in your resume. For some reason, it's not a big deal if you can communicate the worth of what you did in that period. There's a lot of things that you didn't see that were happening like in your business as you were running it. I think that's true for everyone. Do you think there might be broader things across the entrepreneurial community that entrepreneurs are unwilling or not very good at seeing about themselves? Or what's your message to entrepreneurs? You know, like there must be things that you felt like maybe you were led astray by the sorts of messages in the entrepreneurial community. I think I have limited insight into most entrepreneurial businesses. So I don't think I'm qualified to say what, what most people do wrong. I think when we're talking about the CV gap and stuff like that, I think my message would be that the practice of running your own business is a unique education that you only get there. So I come back here into a 1,600-people organization, and I come in at a low rank, and within five months, I'm presenting to the CEO. And I've done that a number of times since. I'm being called in for strategy discussions and on innovation and insights and stuff like that. The fact that I am able to think strategically, I think a lot of that training in that comes from thinking about building my own business. When I was thinking about you talking about the sales and marketing engines that you just didn't feel right executing on social media platforms, I'm tempted to have this theory that there's certain sorts of businesses that are harder to run than others. And I've always identified like agencies and coaching as two business models that I thought, man, you got to be fucking awesome. You have to not only have an enormous sales and marketing engine. So for example, like when I sold valet podiums, it was like the easiest thing ever. It was like, my valet podium is better than that guy's because of these two reasons. Like, do you guys want it? Because you're a valet parking company. And like, that was my sales pitch. And they were like, oh, I don't know. Like, can we try one out for free? And it's like, okay, that was the sales engine. That was like me being a boss. Whereas you go to like the agency model, you go to the coaching model, and it's all of a sudden you're expecting these people who are practitioners in their craft to not only be like sales and marketing experts and like execute these programs, but also the operation on the back end. Like my operation was build the podium, send it to the customer. The operation on the backside of an agency, I get nervous just thinking about it. And in the coaching, it's a similar sort of idea. So what do you think of that kind of theory I'm cooking up that sometimes these business models that people can kind of just happen into tend to be the most difficult to execute? I agree. I think what you're saying about at least the coaching experience mirrors my experience. Like you have to be really good at it. And then you have to like run a massive ad funnel and because as you say a product is a product and you can communicate about the product but coaching i'm the product in many ways and people have to really get to know you and, and know what you stand for and how you can provide value and then they're still not sure that you're the right fit the selling of coaching at least i've found is difficult well one of the things that you brought up and i was thinking like 
it's not surprising to me that you wouldn't want to share that on social media because turning yourself into a product is a strange thing to do. I agree. <laughs> and it becomes even more difficult when you really want to be somewhere else. <laughs> I don't want to be the product, so I'll sell my courses and have them be the product. I've been through all the motions and just not executed in a way that resonated with people for some way, for some reason. It's interesting. It's not surprising to me that you find yourself in the CEO's office, that your batteries included. Like for me, the distinction between owning a business versus working for one isn't nearly as important as like making judgments about the business and being around people who are doing the same thing. And that's something that I took away from your post is, and I've failed at a few times in my career is like having these ideas about like automation and like strategy that were really just projections of my, I don't know, unwillingness to like make it the business that I wanted to run that I cared about. Yeah. So that's all I got for you, Anders. Is there parting shots? I mean, I know you've been listening to the show over the years. Are there things that you would like to say to the TMBA audience? Well, one thing that kept me in my entrepreneurial pursuits for so long was the motivation and camaraderie and the sense of unity that came out of being a part of the DC. So that's definitely one thing I want to share that if you feel alone fighting entrepreneurial loneliness, then being a part of a community like the DC is awesome. And the people that I've shared masterminds with have helped me so much. If you're not in one of those, get in there. Well, cheers. Thanks for joining us today. And we appreciate you coming on the show, Anders. Thank you. All right. Hey, boss man. You know what? Yes. One of the things that struck me, Anders is a very humble guy. But when I asked him about, you know, going back to get jobs and stuff, I almost got the sense like the way he was answering it so systematically about the way he applied and, and how he sort of called directly to the, the person that was making the decision and the sorts of conversations they were having. It was almost like, dude, I got this. Like what I've been doing the last 10 years is way harder than this stuff. You know, cutting one deal with one person about giving me a job, like that's something I can do. It's one of these things where it's like, how many times do we have to come on this show and de-risk the idea of entrepreneurship? I mean, do resume gaps even matter anymore? I don't think so. I was talking with somebody actually the other day, engineer, and they were worried about having an engineer gap on their resume. <laughs> I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. You're really? telling me that somebody doesn't appreciate the fact that you took a sabbatical, that you went a different direction in your career, all this stuff. Like, get out of here. I don't want to work for that person if that's the kind of approach that they're going to take to me in my resume gap. Right. I just think it's it's not true. Like, a lot of this stuff is not, I can't think of anything, in fact, Dan, where you take off two years except for maybe something that's like extremely market relevant or something like that but like engineering like engineering has been the same for a long time yeah <laughs> there's been a couple things that have been discovered in the last few years or whatever but for the most part a textbook from like 30 years ago is pretty relevant i think being an entrepreneur too has like changed my mindset to one of abundance when it comes to employment too because you know we used to think of jobs like this precious thing and you're sitting there in the interview and it's like oh i gotta have this you know 
But nowadays I think, man, I could do a lot of different sorts of jobs and it's not a permanent thing necessarily. And I feel like I could provide value in different sorts of industries and I could also enjoy it. And so this idea that there's one job and I'm waiting for it and I got to have it is it's also a bad strategy, by the way, if there's only one or two jobs out there in the world that exist for you, it doesn't seem like a very uh, sensible strategy. Why don't pursue something where there are more employment opportunities? I also feel like applicants have more power now like the power dynamic has shifted like before it was like you had to go to this employer because they had benefits they were like in your town there were only like one of two employers yeah you know but the power dynamic has changed especially now that you can get a remote job anywhere in the world some people are willing to work for less or more for the same jobs basically same skill set so a lot's changed and i think is in favor of the applicant you know i want to flag up something that will address in the future certainly will have addressed in the past is, you know, Anders was really fighting an uphill battle here by choosing a challenging niche. And I think it's obvious why Anders pursued this business because he loved working with his clients and he was very, very good at it. But for those of you that want to stick in the entrepreneurship game, it's worth considering, you know, how easy are you making this on yourself by the different business models that you choose, by the different ways in which you choose to do business? This is a very challenging business model, and you don't necessarily have to choose something that's so difficult. Sometimes you can just do something that's easier. You know, I do it all the time. I make decisions at, at my desk and in our business. There's like one decision is like the thing that I really want to happen, and then there's like the duh decision. Like someone was sitting me down the other day, like critiquing the way I ran the business. And they were totally right. They were like, you just want to do that, you know? And it's like, this is this duh option right here, which is how about you do the thing that people are asking you for that's really easy for you to deliver and that's profitable for you to do so. Dan, I want to make a distinction here between products and services as well, or products and clients. And the difference would be customers and clients, right? A product has customers, a service has clients, right? A lot of times with these client-based businesses, They can be different because you have to recreate a lot of your product every time you introduce a new client into the equation. And it can be a lot of work. That being said, and I don't know if this is true or not, and you're welcome to critique it. One of the things that I think is unique about a product is you create it, you set it out there for the world, and then people decide whether or not they're going to buy it. With client work, a lot of times with like coaching work and this kind of like esoteric kind of product, right, as a service... When the product is flexible. When the product is flexible, it creates a situation where if you're good at sales or like you're good at marketing or you're good at like telling a story, like you have the ability to convince people of buying your product. Before you know it, you've like convinced a couple people. And it's not that your product or your service is actually good. It's that you're good at convincing people of it. Yeah. And so then you like kind of propagate the situation where you have clients for like 10 years or five years. But really, if you put that product on a shelf, like maybe no one would have bought it. It gives you the wrong kind of feedback, in other words. Yeah. And the other thing is, while we're calling this episode the 4,000-day principle, you know, the 1,000-day principle suggests that you got to work three years of full-time effort growing your business. Well, there's an interesting caveat there. Is like delivering your product to each individual client or individual groups of clients in ways that satisfy them specifically Is that part of building a business or is that part of like you employing yourself for part of the time in order to deliver? And look, it's semantics. It's whatever. Do your own personal math problem. But I'm tempted to say that 
it's not a good use of your time as an entrepreneur to be personally delivering your services or products. This is why I loved Tommy Joyner's response to this problem. Look, I'm not acting like I'm bigger than this problem. This is a real problem that so many of us face. Tommy Joyner, I'm going to link you up to his episode. He said, I would never sell a service that I would have to deliver myself. And the reason is because he wants to grow the business. He wants to spend the thousand days, the three years growing the business. And if you have to deliver it, then you're always taking a time out in order to do something that isn't part of product creation, which is essentially what you're suggesting. That's hard to do, Dan, especially I think if you find yourself in a position where you have a marketable skill set, you don't want to have a job. Most people, they just opt to sell their skill set. And that's what you're talking about. I think it puts people in a difficult position, but it doesn't have to be, right? Because for example, if you say I'm a really good artist, I actually like doing the client work. I actually like drawing. I actually like delivering this. And that's what you love to do, then continue to do it. Now, if your dream is to own a business, to be automated out of that business, to only work five hours a week, then you got a problem. So I I think it depends on what your objectives are. A lot of people get into it maybe thinking like, hey, I really like this idea of delivering myself as the product. Yeah. And Anders got himself in this situation. I think it's okay to just peace out at that point. Like he did and say like, hey, this is it. Like, I don't want to go hire five people that can do this. Like, I'm just done. Yeah, and peace out for the better. Well yeah. done, Anders. Uh, it seems like he's got a really bright and interesting story, and I definitely hope that he'll come back on the show and share with us how it's going. All right, boss man, of course, we got rock reviews and news. It's getting <laughs> a little bit more streamlined here. I like it. <laughs> All right, what's our track for this week, boss man? Do a little bit wow. of ex- explanations. I asked you before this started, are you going to pick the song? You said, no, you no. I- you go, no, of course, you're picking this song. I go, <laughs> oh, okay. I guess I'll pick the song again this week because I haven't yet. Uh, this is We Are Scientists, one of our favorite bands, and the song is called Cash Cow. Very appropriate for a business podcast. Ian, you are going to enjoy this review. I know that you haven't heard it yet. All right. I don't even know where this review, what platform this review came in on. I saw it on Chartable, so I can't give you a shout out reviewer, but Ian's going to guess how many stars you gave us and we appreciate your review. Seem like massive douchebags. At least that's what I first thought when I started listening to them. Like, seriously, who are these guys and what do they know? Bunch of arrogant dicks. <laughs> this is real? Well, they this is real. Or they just had this little something that kept me listening to them week in and week out. And it just keeps getting better and better. I am not one for independent work locations as I am an accountant and advise businesses. But the information I have learned from these guys has changed my opinion about them both being little douchebags, but massive legends. Wow! (laughs) I look forward to their weekly podcast, although some are less than amazing, but others are pure gold that I still listen to and use in my work life. Keep up the awesome work. Thank you. How many stars do you think this reviewer gave us? All I can say, Dan, is I'm so happy that we have put ourselves in a position to be called names like this. It is uh, <laughs> it is truly a privilege every week to get on this podcast and do our thing, make a couple people upset, hopefully make a couple people money. Laugh, cry, get bored out of their minds and fall asleep. Whatever it is, we're happy you're listening. That's a five-star review, boss man. Wow. Bang it. it. Started one. <laughs> This week, we got some news. Stay tuned to the show. 
in the next few weeks, we're going to be adding a new segment, one that I've been daydreaming about for a few years now. I've been pitching this idea, and everybody's been saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I keep saying, we're going to do this thing because I think that this audience wants to see some amazing deals on some amazing services that people in our community offer. You know, the thing about productized services we talk about all the time on the show, to have the opportunity to grow your business with a click. That's the interesting thing. A good productized service, you should be able to say, oh, so-and-so firm like does lead generation or so-and-so firm puts up webinar funnels or so-and-so does Facebook ad campaigns that look like this. You should be able to buy that thing and bam, revenue into your business. And I always thought, well, there's so many of our listeners and community members that build these kinds of services. Mm -hmm. What if we could offer them to the podcast listeners in limited quantity for a limited amount of time in a way that the service provider can deliver, but also at a great deal? And that's what we're going to try. And we don't know if it's going to work, but we're going to give it a try. Here's what happened. You had a dream, and then all of a sudden I had a bunch of work. (laughs) So, <laughs> I have been, been sifting. Our, you, we've given you a new title oh, around man. here. We call, we call him the deal master. I am very excited about this as well, Dan. <laughs> um, your vision, you wrote a blog post inside of the DC, our private community, asking for submissions, asking for people that had these types of businesses, mostly productized services, some service business, and some software. And some uh, courses yep. as well. People submitted and so what I've been doing the last couple of weeks is like going through the offerings, trying to figure out what might be a good fit for the audience of this podcast and for our community. And so what we're going to do next week is we are going to throw out our first deal. We're going to announce it on the podcast. And I think it's going to be interesting to find out whether or not you guys are interested in these things. Cool. That's the news. That's so, all we got. You got to get home. I Got to get to the mountains. I'm going on vacation. That's oh, right. man. So this I'm is... leaving all this stuff on your desk, and I'm just getting out of here. Who's going to talk about cycling while you're gone? Who's going to? Uh, maybe I'm the boss man now. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good trip. All right, buddy. I'll see you next week, and we will see you all next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.